everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interest in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it is Brian Nemhauser uh, uh, here with you um, to talk about, uh, well, I guess a lot of things, but we're here for the 52nd episode of Real Hawk Talk, and man, it's it's a, a bit of a bittersweet moment in that uh, it's always great to get together with the fellas and to talk with all of you about the Seahawks, but uh, I think we all had hoped that we'd be talking about a Seahawks win and moving on to the second round of the playoffs. That did not happen. And uh, there, <laughs> there was a lot of reaction, as there always is, to a loss, especially a loss at the end of the season. Um, we're going to break it all down. And uh, we're going to do it. We're going to try our best to do it uh, in a little bit more of a civil tone than we've seen on Twitter uh, in the last few days. And even maybe cut out a little bit of the sarcasm and hyperbole that this, this show is known for. So we're going to try to really break it down, have a respectful conversation, and, and try to understand what's going on um, with that game, with the Seahawks overall. And uh, we'll start by introducing the fellas. Uh, Nathan Ernst, it is wonderful to see you for a second straight week. How are you doing? Pretty good. Happy to be here. Um, congratulations, by the way, at Nathan E11 getting named as one of the uh, handles to follow in the Seattle Times article on Seahawks Twitter. I was a footnote, uh, but that was pretty surreal to, to uh, be in the Times like that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Print edition. Uh, nice to see. I think you were... You and uh, Josh, Cable Thanos, were the two that made it in the print edition, which was cool to see. Um, Jeff Simmons from Toronto. Are you? How's your internet, dude? Is it going to work today? I hope so. I, I might have broken it after that game Saturday night. I might have smashed it, but... Dude, you're smooth. It's smooth like that shave you've got going on. It's great. All right, so welcome back, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And then... The man, the myth uh, that has been uh, fighting all sorts of fights on Twitter. People followed him because of his positive, effervescent optimism about the Seahawks. And they are now getting treated to uh, his pessimism and skepticism. And uh, it's, it's made for some interesting Twitter discussions. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. I'm actually really excited to have this conversation because I agree with you. Like. Twitter's been pretty toxic the past couple of days, and I'll fully admit, like I've been part of that. I've been so I've been so pissed off the past couple of days that 
I'm excited to sit down and actually have like a logical conversation about this. I think it's going to be good. Good, good. Well, um, so let's start here, guys. I mean, I think um, it'd be good to kind of uh, go round table, round robin with your general reactions. And then uh, we'll bring it back. Let's bring it back to uh, two specific reactions we saw from one was from Warren Sharp. The other was from Brock Heward. They kind of represent different points of view on that game. But before we even get into those, what were your thoughts um, about the game? Um, Evan, you want to you want to kick us off? Yeah, I, I think coming away from the game in the first like forty eight hours, immediately post game, I, I was really just disappointed in this coaching staff. I, I was really disappointed in the way they prepared for this game, what they came out doing execution wise, how they adjusted in game, and how the result ended up kicking them out of the playoffs. Um, I think number one, I'd like to say this season has been super fun and I, I just couldn't be happier with um, the fun we had this season, even like just Josh, like Keeble Thanos making videos every week. That was something I was so excited about looking forward to every single week. He's actually making another one soon, but you know, we all saw the treat or the tweet thread that Warren Sharp put together um, post game. The, there's two really main areas that really disturbed me. Number one, Going into the game, we knew the Dallas run defense was really, really good, like top five good. So we are, we're a strong running team, but we got our asses kicked in the run game. You know, what's his name? Um, Jalen, um, not Jalen Ramsey, but, you know, Jalen, yeah, who, you know, he, he, he balled in run defense. I, they completely contained Chris Carson, Chris Carson, you know, did nothing basically the entire game. Um, when they finally gave Penny some reps, um, you know, he pushed a little couple, a few runs, you know, past 10 yards in the third quarter. But it, we, we just knew that their run defense was a strong, you know, asset of, their, asset of their defense. And I think Warren Sharp even pulled up a stat that Dallas, the Dallas def, pass defense was ranked 31, 31st in success rate the last month of the season. So, you know, going into that game, you got to think if the run game isn't working in the first half, you have to attack the secondary, especially with the season that Lockett has had. Lockett only ended up having, what was it, like six targets or something like that. Um, I, I, I thought they were going to attack the secondary much more aggressively with Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin was somebody who didn't even really get involved until I think late second quarter he got a target. That was frustrating. So I think from the from a game plan perspective, run the ball fine. But the problem I have with Pete Carroll's game plan, offensive game plan, going into these games, and it's Brian Schottenheimer too, is you know so they love RRP, run, run, pass. But when the run game isn't working effectively, I feel like the Seahawks require Russell Wilson to convert long third downs almost at an unsustainable rate to be able to put up points on the board. So when Chris Carson, you know, rushed for two yards per carry in the first half, we're putting Russell Wilson in these insane situations where, where he has to convert at a very high rate. And it, it's problematic. Like you can, and when they came back into the second half, you know, run game wasn't working in the first half. Second half, they ran even harder. It just, it made no sense to me that there were no adjustments made. Um, I think the most infuriating thing from my perspective was Pete Carroll post game saying we needed to run the ball more. 
I don't know how anybody comes away from that game saying we needed to run the ball more. It does not take a rocket scientist to say the running game wasn't working. They have the 31st ranked pass defense in the last month in success rate. You have Russell Wilson, top three quarterback in the NFL, and Tyler Lockett, who has a perfect passer rating when targeted. You would think they would aggressively attack that secondary. So game plan and adjustments made in-game were super, super frustrating. And it was just a real bummer of a game. Jeff, anything different for you? Anything you'd add? Um, similar to Evan, um, in a sense, I, I watched the game in my friend's basement. I was off Twitter the whole game. So when I – I was pissed off. I came out of the game pretty pissed off for similar reasons that Evan said. And I was surprised to see just what the narrative that formed. So my, my opinion wasn't shaped by anything I'd read on Twitter. And my opinion was coming out of the game that I thought their offensive game plan, considering what we talked about in the show, what Warren said on the show last week, just basing the DVOA numbers that you had presented to us in our thread last week, it proved to show what Evan just said about Dallas. There was one pretty clear way it looked like to attack them. And obviously I was alarmed to see how bad Seattle's running game was in that game and how ineffective Chris Carson was. And I thought it would be a game similar to Carolina. That was kind of what we looked at last week. So to see them kind of beating their head against the wall and their run game being that bad, I wonder if we all underestimated, I think the coaches too, how all those guards of Sweezy and Fluker and Effetti being not playing together, they looked out of sorts. And they hadn't looked like that really all year since the first two weeks. So I wonder if we underestimated that component but yeah i was i've never been more on the side of analytics twitter i even got likes from nathan and zach this week and ben <laughs> I, I felt like a new man like i like i crossed sides or something but that game that game kind of broke me i i was really fed up with how the seattle approached the game not much from a big picture sense of run versus pass my frustration was more from an opponent just general strategy I thought their strategy of just trying to run against a team that had clearly schemed for them was just very, very poor, almost an abject failure. And just it took me a while to get past that third and 14, too. I don't know if we're talking mm. about that enough. That one was really hard for me to swallow, even into Sunday. So overall, Evan hit on the key points. I, I know we're all going to hit on the Warren Sharp points, and it's, it's pretty consistent what guys like Nathan and Ben have been saying all year and kind of a looming worry about them. I just thought they took the ball out of their best player's hands. And I think that against a team that was vulnerable was setting herself up to lose. All right, Nathan, anything uh, new or different than, than what the other guys said? No need to pile on if, if not. No, I mean, not really. I mean, this is like, like Jeff just said, this is what we were concerned about all year. Um, and so, you know, we've seen this a couple times where their third down offense has failed them. And, you know, um, that they've been, I mean, they've been run heavy all year and, and they ran into a great run defense and it didn't work and they didn't adapt. Um, I mean, that was really the shocking thing to me is that they just didn't change. Um, I think, you know, for a long time, something that Pete Carroll coaching staff has gotten a lot of credits for is their adjustments and halftime and stuff like that. And we, we didn't see anything like that. And so to see all the problems that we knew were, you know, latent with this offense and then to see them just, you know, lean heavier into them was, it just made it all the more disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
generally these shows are, are most exciting when people are in disagreement. So, but I'm going to start with things where I think that I think we're all aligned and I think most people are, you know, maybe not, maybe not everybody. We can talk about that, but um, I think all of us on this show agree that um, the Seahawks have been run first. It wasn't su surprising that they came in and attempted to do that the same way they did in the first matchup between these two teams. Um, I think we all agree that, that it wasn't working well and that um, there was concern that they were going to stick with it. I wrote that in my preview before the game. That was my number one concern is that Seahawks were going to get pigheaded about the run game and they were going to stick with it and miss the opportunity to, to switch over to the past, past game and, and similar to what they did in Carolina. I think we all agree that's that happened. I think they, they stuck with it too much and um, didn't switch things up. So I think we're, I think we actually all see that the same way. Um, what was surprising to me was a couple things. One, um, there was a lot of what felt like confirming your priors going on in this game in, in like the, the follow uh, up to this game, which was basically implying that if the Seahawks had simply passed the ball more often or made that adjustment, that there was a hundred percent chance that they would have won the game. That was essentially the, the characterization I was getting from a lot of folks on Twitter. Like I understand how frustrating it was. I was frustrated. Like Will and I were watching the game together. We were frustrated. Like everybody was frustrated and everybody, when they scored the touchdown at the end, everybody knew that was coming too, right? Like that was not a surprise, but when you actually look, step back and look at that game, you know, I look at the, the Zeke Elliott breakout on, on short yardage before halftime, that was a busted defensive play. That was a huge point changing, you know, play in that game. I look at the Shaquille Griffin coverage again, not getting his head around on the touchdown on that specific drive again, not, not um, getting off the field. And that's a, potentially a four point difference in that game. Um, you look at the third and 14 play third and fucking 14 guys, third and 14 and a, and a QB draw gets the first down. Like we're not even supposed to run on second and 10. They're running on third and 14 and picking up the first down. Like that's a four point difference right there. Like these are, pretty big defensive breakdowns that I saw throughout the game. And <clears throat> it, it was almost like those got almost no conversation because 95% of the conversation was about play calling. And for me, if I was naming the top three reasons they lost this game, play calling would be in the top three, but defense would probably be the other two. Like, um, you know, I might even call it special teams, you know, as being uh, uh, another reason in there. So that was a little bit surprising to me. And then when I went back and I looked at these, the first game and the second game, guys, first game, like we, we all sat here, Nathan, you specifically is like, I think your quote was when the Seahawks won that game, you're like, I haven't felt 
them like I never I felt comfortable the whole time that they had that game. Like it's been a while since I felt like they had a game like that. Is that roughly yep. accurate? Yep. And in that game, they they averaged less yards per carry. They were running more often on first down. They uh, they scored 24 points in the first game. They scored 22 in this game. Like, I can go on and on. If I went through and I, I, I looked at the differences between every meaningful stat I could come up with between the first game and the second game. And guys, like, the offense scored 1.8 points per drive in the first game. They scored 1.8 points per drive in the second game. Uh, defensively? They allowed 1.1 points per drive in the first game. They allowed two points per drive in the second game. Like, I, I can go on and on on this. But, but this is the problem with the offensive game plan, is that they play such a conservative style that little things that are really luck and out of their control can torpedo them. Right? Yeah, they played a very similar game to the one that they did earlier. Uh, but because of a couple breaks, they lose. And in the playoffs, like, they're done now. And so that's really the concern. Like, yeah, the defense needs to be better. But And, yeah, they, you know, shit the bed on that third and 14. But, like, they gave up 24 points. They didn't give up 34, 38, 40 points. They gave up 24 points. When you have Russell Wilson at quarterback and Russell Wilson is throwing for, like, eight yards an attempt – but you keep running the ball at like three yards an attempt. And I think that includes some Russell Wilson scrambles. You know, that's a major problem. You're limiting yourself. You are putting, you're, you're putting a lot up to chance that you don't need to put up the chance. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear that. I, I think what I'm putting that restating that is that's something that you have total control over. You can absolutely call more passes. No one can stop you from doing that. Like, I think that's what I'm hearing you say that's a, an easy change to potentially make. And I agree that would have probably resulted in, you know, some better results for the Seahawks. I'm not certain it would have resulted in a win. Um, and that's the other part for me is I, you know, the, the, the Cowboys only had one sack, but I thought Russell Wilson was under a decent amount of pressure, especially early in that game. Every time he dropped back, I didn't think pass protection was very good at all. He had guys in his face. He was having to move around. I'm not convinced that if the Seahawks had passed more, that it would have been better. It might have been. There's reason to believe it could have been. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been. But to say that 100% certainty that if they had just passed more, that we wouldn't have seen a Fetty getting like pancaked by Demarcus Lawrence and turning Russell into a pancake too. Wouldn't have seen interceptions, lost yardage on sacks, fumbles, turnovers. Those are, I mean, we have to at least acknowledge that that's a possibility. The Seahawks had zero turnovers in that in that game. I think that's part of why it was close. It's part of why the Seahawks led in the second quarter, led in the third quarter, and led in the fourth quarter. This was not a blowout loss on the road. This was not Carolina. This was not Atlanta. But they like, played like, yeah, they had the lead at times, but they played like they had a 10-point lead when they had a three- or four-point lead. Right. Sure. I mean, and, and you're right. You know, it's not just about run pass. Right. I mean, we saw them again, you know, into the second half or uh, first half <clears throat> in the second quarter. 
they, you know, kind of dinked and dunked and played conservatively and tried to lay up for a long field goal. Right. And they got, I mean, they got the field goal and then they tried another field goal, like, and then that one they miss. And I mean, Janikowski getting hurt, that's kind of luck, but like, there's just not this, even, even if you're not talking about pass versus run, they don't have a killer instinct on offense. Right. They want to punish you and they want to impose their will, but they don't have this idea that they want to bury you. And I think that that was extra true in this Cowboys game. Right. Like they, they get a four point lead and they're like, let's just coast. Let's just let's just run some clock out like guys. It's the playoffs. Put some points on the board. Like, let's go. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Evan, I mean, I, <clears throat> speaking of the defense stuff for a second. So my top three reasons why I think the Seahawks lost this game. <clears throat> my number one reason is home field advantage. I said it before the game. I believe it after. I think Dallas is a different team, especially offensively in Dallas than they are on the road. <clears throat> number two for me is defense and number three for me is play calling. I'm curious um, from your perspective, like what were the, what were the other reasons other than play calling that, that stood out to you as, as reasons the Seahawks didn't win this game? That's a really good question. Um, I don't think we're talking enough about how uninvolved Doug Baldwin was. It was a real problem to me that Doug Baldwin did not get targeted. I may be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure he didn't get targeted until late second quarter. I know he, you know, missed the catch in the end zone, but we need to get Doug Baldwin more involved than that. You know, he's a premier passing threat. You look at the spit, the splits when targeting him, when not targeting him. He's amazing. We need him to be involved in this offense. That simple. He needs the ball. Um, so I'd say Doug Baldwin being uninvolved. Defense was a problem. Yes, I completely agree. Um, Jermaine Ifedi had some whiffs this game. We talked mm-hmm. about the pancake with Demarcus Lawrence. <laughs> that, that was the standout play. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thrown back like seven yards, it almost seemed like. Um, and Shaq Griffin, he was a problem this game too. We talked- I, don't, I mean, that got a lot of talk during the game. It did not get as much talk after the game. That guy played like shit. Well, I, I was thinking about it post-game because, I mean, we talked about it the past few weeks on the pod about how we felt like he was kind of, you know, back on a good trajectory again. And he, he I, I don't know if it's maybe we're comparing him to Sherm. I just I – need, I need to see consistency out of him. I don't need to see an all-pro elite talent. I just need to see consistency not giving up big plays and it felt like he did. So those are a few reasons in my mind. Jeff, I mean, this is one of the worst red zone offenses in football that the Cowboys had. They went one for three in the first game in the red zone. They went three for four in the second game. That by itself, that's eight points, an eight point swing. Um, what do you think was going on in the red zone? And, and you know, how, how big of a deal do you think that was for, for the outcome of this game? Um, well, a lot of the plays that ended up in the red zone were just third down mistakes that led to big plays, like the Dak run, third and 14, that he goes down and where at the one. Zeke gets out on that play where no one contains. It's third and one from, like, what, the 40? So they're getting down to, like, the one on the two-yard line on these big play. Amari Cooper getting across the field on these third downs. So I think third down defense all day was a problem. Um, I think Dal- Shaq Griffin was on a bad ankle, so I don't know how much that affected him, but some of the mistakes we've seen from him all year, not getting his head around quick enough, um, 
the contain on run defense was very, very poor. That Zeke play where him and Akeem King didn't hold their edge. That's a play they've been stopping all game. Just yeah, they've had pro they've had problems on defensively. I think that's part of the reason they did run the ball so much all year. They knew they had a weak defense. That the advanced stats showed they had a weak defense. And they were exposed in this game. They they got outplayed. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys had 166 yards rushing in the first game, 164 in the second. So their the rush efficiency was definitely higher in the first game, but essentially they had the same output on on the ground. In the air, they had 137 yards passing in the first game. They had 216 in this game. Uh, went from four yards per attempt to six and a half. Dak had scores. Um, you know, he didn't have any turnovers in this game. Like, those are all big differences that that I I feel like uh, deserve some some attention. And I, did you guys see Sando's tweet where he went and compared the two games and actually went through? This is actually shocking to me. And went through and looked at pass percentage on first down, comparing the first game and the second game. Did you see that? It was more in the in the playoff game. Yeah, I almost feel like I should bring that up here. Um, uh, let me see. Quickly back to another point. I think this builds up to what Nathan's kind of been saying. I think the fact that Seattle tries to play these close games with their defense and not say try to build up an aggressive lead and force Dak to play from behind. That's part of the big picture mistake of this game and just with the team in general right now. Like well, that's a much worse quarterback when he's one dimensional and forced to pass, right? Jeff, it's like they're playing with the Legion of Boom back there. That's what I had trouble with. That's they need elite defense to run that kind of system. Not just an elite defense, a Hall of Fame defense. Mm -hmm. Like if you are going to play those conservative margins, you know, where you're counting on those lucky tipped balls, lucky interceptions you know, those highlight moments, you're counting on those moments, those game-breaking moments, when you don't have, you know, the talent or the personnel to support that, where you consistently win those game-changing moments, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. Like, it's just, it feels like he's playing with the Legion of Boom back there. And, you know, maybe if they do get something like the Legion of Boom again, it could work again. But I, I see it as unlikely. Well, let's talk, we'll talk about that in a second because that kind of goes to what are the implications about this game beyond. Um, let me see if I can get this to work real quick. And if it's too lame, then uh... whoa! Whoa! Oh, you just exploded. Yeah, you, you seeing this? There it is. So this is Seattle versus Dallas. The first column's the Week Three game in Seattle. The second column's the Wild Card game. And look at look here at the pass percentage on first down. So one of the real criticisms we're all saying and everyone's saying is that they should have, there's too much run, run pass. Well, they actually passed significantly more on first down and second down in this matchup than they did in the first. And if you look at the combined, it's, you know, it's a pretty significant difference. Um, they also, their first down uh, expected points added was better in the rematch. Their second down was better. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't think it disproves anything that we've said, other than I think that maybe the, the emphasis on 
you know, how much of this was, you know, just play calling and that the, that they didn't adjust. I mean, you could, you could look at that and say they actually did adjust from the first game. They did pass more than they did the, the first game. But that's not what we're looking for them to adjust from. It's We wanted it closer to the Carolina game where the numbers would be rapidly different, right? Well, and I think that the there's a little bit of a difference there too. I mean, with – so I'm trying to just kind of look at the game right now. So uh, the play-by-play, they got the ball with about three minutes left in the second in the in the second quarter. They had, um, and then they got another possession right before the end of the second quarter, and they had three passes on first down there. And then they got the ball down three with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. So you know, game script here again, and they had I think. And then again, later they got the ball around with about two minutes left in the fourth quarter down two and they passed a bunch. Um, and so I think that, I think it's, it's like seven, if I'm counting right of their first down passes came in those like last two or three minutes of the game or, or of, of halves. So I, I wonder how much that kind of skews us a little bit where, where they were just in these clear passing situations. So, I think that makes sense. Uh, I'm curious, you know, one of the things I saw from this, especially Evan, I'd like to hear from you on this is the implication that what we saw, like you, what we saw in this game was the evidence you needed to go back from, from saying you don't hate Pete Carroll to basically being back in the mode of you think Pete Carroll is in the way of this team and that you think the team's almost better off without him. I, I want to clarify that. I don't think that's true. I, I, my ideal option moving forward is Pete Carroll as head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. But he just needs to adjust and adapt a little bit. Pete Carroll would be so much better if he was just a little bit flexible when it came to offensive game planning. Maybe just run in smarter situations. You don't need to abandon your identity. Just use some basic analytics and, you know, hire some numbers guys and actually listen to them. Um, I, 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 I just really, I have to like remain calm about this. <laughs> like I get worked up about this. Like I really, I really think just saying like, oh, be content and happy. The Seahawks made the playoffs when they weren't supposed to make the playoffs is a really, really simplistic head in the sand, stick your head in the sand type way of viewing this season. Yes, they outperformed expectations. Yes, it was a fun season, but there are some fatal processes and flaws that remain in place. I don't see moving forward how, like, are you telling me moving forward, the hope is that Pete Carroll is going to adjust his game plan, maybe be a little bit smarter with, you know, their offensive identity and use analytics a little bit better? Is that the hope? Is that the hope? Is that is that all the people in my mentions that are like, Cursing me out and losing their minds that I, I I poke any criticism at Pete Carroll is the hope that he's going to adjust and change a little bit because I would love that to be true, but I have a real concern that Pete is stuck in his way of doing things as he's done for decades and that he's probably not going to change in his late 60s or whatever. So that's my hope. Pete Carroll remains his head coach, but that he adjusts and adapts a little bit better. I don't think it's – I, I, I really – and I do want to touch on one point. I understand Pete means a ton to this season, to this city. Like, like 
I don't want to pretend that there's not like an emotional fan protection, you know, fan protection circle around him. There is. Like, we let's just admit it. Because he brought us a Super Bowl, we we are hesitant to criticize him. And I understand that. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. But can we just like not pretend it's not there? I think that's a little frustrating to me. I'm looking through your feed because I do want to make sure we're we're matching words to to words here. Like my impression, I, I'm having to look for specific examples, but my impression when I've read your tweets has been really veiled, firmly veiled. Um, you know, you know, takes uh, I guess uh, jabs at Pete Carroll that you. You basically, it's not a matter of, you know, you think he's fine, but, you know, you want some slight adjustments. It's maybe gotten there a little bit in the last few days, but it's largely been this guy is hurting the team. That's that's really the strong impression I get. Oh, yeah, no, I and I stand by that. I, I think he is hurting the team. I, 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 I think his failure to adapt, adjust, in a modern offensive passing NFL league, he has to be able to adjust and adapt. He has to. You why? 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 So, because are you saying that the only way for the Seahawks to to contend going forward is for Pete Carroll to take on offensive philosophies elsewhere? Like that, he has to actually get more out of the offense than they currently are getting. That's what is that trend? No, I would just say that's the most likely. For example, if he builds up like an elite legion of boom defense again, you know, and he tries to go after the whole ground and pound, you know, we're going to force our will upon you, whatever. That can work, but it's really hard to obtain, right? And I think expecting a second coming coming of that era is unlikely. Does that make sense? So you're saying you think it's it's more likely that the Seahawks can improve on offense than that they can build a an elite a legion, of, a legion of boom level defense. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah, and I and I don't think that's that hard of a take. Like, I I just don't understand why we can't ask Pete Carroll to adjust in, in a Do you think you think the number one priority or the number one thing standing in the way of the Seahawks contending is improving on offense? Yes. Really? I'm curious, Nathan, uh, Jeff, what's the number one thing in your mind that is standing in the way of the Seahawks from where they are now to being a legit contender? I think they're always going to be vulnerable to these games and losing to worse teams if they want to play this way. Right. I mean, we saw it, you know, in the regular season too, right. Dropping a game to the Niners, nearly dropping games to the Cardinals twice. Um, and now, now losing to the, the Cowboys, obviously much better than those teams, but I, I still think an inferior team um, and an inferior coach team, but if he cannot be adaptable, if he is going to, uh, I mean, I think a lot of this game was Pete trying to prove a point. I think Pete really? listens. I think Pete listens to 
a lot more criticism than maybe, I don't know, maybe we think he does or maybe people think he does. I mean, I don't know what else explains this game. You know, Schneider comes out before the game and says it's going to be 1940s football and one team played that way and they <laughs> lost, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't think Pete has to change. I'm, I'm with Evan on this. I don't think Pete has to change a lot. I think he has to allow the team to try to score a touchdown in a two-minute drill. I think he has to, you know, be willing to throw the ball a little bit more on second and long. Um, I think they have to get past whatever the hell they're doing on third and long where they're just calling give up plays. Uh, and I, they just – Amen. They can't – look, they're, they're going to play a way that forces them to have to convert, I think, more third downs than, you know, other teams and the way that other teams are playing. And maybe that will work for them. Maybe they can get – maybe they can make that workable, right? I mean, they had a good offense this year, right? They had a, a, an offense that scored, um, I think, points per drive. They were seventh, right? And so this can work, but they have to iron out these kind of Achilles heels, right? They have a couple of them. They're not huge deals, but they have been consistent throughout his entire career, and he doesn't show any willingness to move on from that. But and so, yeah, the defense has to get yeah. a whole lot better. But, I mean, they're going to work on that, right? That's not yeah. a question. They're going to try to get that better. The question is, are they going to try to do a few little things to maximize the offense to the point where they don't have to play these – I mean, I don't know if we're going to talk about the Brock and the Warren Shop stuff later. We've talked about it a little bit already. But Brock, the other day, kept talking about winning time, uh-huh. you know, and why they wouldn't why they wouldn't open it up. Well, it wasn't winning time yet. Fuck winning time. It's always winning time. Let's go win a game in the second quarter. And then we can winning time can be about running the ball and facing that lead. Winning yeah. time doesn't mean having to score the winning, the game winning drive. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm on, I'm on the same page on like, I've, re- I've railed against the whole, you can't win a game in the first quarter, second quarter shit. So for a long time. I mean, oh, I hate that. You know, Fuck that philosophy. I think that, that philosophy. That that's ridiculous. I, I think, and I think, I think that that's a flaw and it's something I would tell Pete Carroll if it was in front of me and I'd try to understand. And, but here's the thing. I think there's a lot of evidence to imply that, that Pete Carroll one didn't, I think they ran more than they even wanted to this year. Like, I actually believe that's true. There was a, an interesting little slip um, from Pat Kerwin on NFL radio last week before the game. They were talking about this. And he was talking about, like, they run because they don't trust that offensive line to pass protect. And he said specifically that right tackle. And look, guys. Jermaine Effetti, he was better this year. He is flawed when it comes to pass protection. I don't think he ever is going to be a good pass protector. And for those of us who have been Seahawks fans for a long time, I remember a guy like Chris Terry when he joined in like early 2000s at right tackle and how much of a difference it made to that offense to be able to have reliability at pass protecting. I think that they were to some extent, compensating for two things. I think they were compensating for pass protection they didn't believe in. As much as we we like DJ Fluker and JR Sweezy guys, this was still the 30th, the 31st team in sack rate. Like they gave up way more sacks per drop back than last year or the year before under Tom Cable. This is not good. Is that going to change though? I don't know. So, so we'll talk about that. 
But the other thing I think they were guarding against is I don't think this defense is very good. And so I think they they specifically went out and they also lost their tight end. It wasn't part of the plan. And I think what they adjusted and I think they put together a run heavy plan that worked better than I ever expected it to. But if you look at their their past years in terms of run pass mix, they were way off the charts run to, to pass this year. And if you look at the 2012, 2013, it was like roughly 50-50. And I guess I would challenge you guys a little bit on this notion that Pete's got to change in order for them. He's he's playing so close that they're going to the, – the Saints this year led the NFL in point differential. It was like nine-something points a game. The Seahawks from like 2012 to 2014, they were like 10 to, 10 to 12 point per game differential. Like they were – they were that much better than their opponents. I don't think that they were like just barely squeaking by all the time. They were significantly better, but they were doing it more with defense than they were with offense. I think we all agree for the future, they're going to have to rely more on offense than they did then. My question, Jeff, is like, can they get by by just getting better on offense and not being enough? Or is it, you know, is defense the area that, I mean, I'm, I don't believe they're going to be a legion of boom, but like, is this going to be a good enough defense to, to contend? Oh, fuck no. No, <laughs> this defense is terrible. They have three to four very, very good players. Jaron Reed emerged this year. And then they have three to four pretty bad players. And as a unit, it was below average with some pretty obvious holes and so yeah, and there in that sense, there's a ton of room to grow. There's way more room to grow defensively, in terms of talent, in terms of production, and offensively. I'm more. I do agree with Evan and Nathan that there's a lot of room to grow in terms of ideology. But yeah, defense. It's it's kind of unfair because the thing about the offense is how sustainable are some of these numbers, the kind of numbers that Russell was hitting on, and these minimal passing attempts. And if you're relying on these unsustainable numbers and maybe your run game gets a little worse. And then what do you look like when your offense is now like 14th best in the league and if your defense doesn't get better? So, yeah, obviously defense does have the most to grow. But in terms of offense, I just come back to that clip where Marshawn Lynch is on the sidelines talking to Pete in the Super Bowl, like begging him to score more points. Do you guys remember that? that Yeah. yeah. I didn't think much of it at the time, but I was thinking about it on Sunday. And – I do think offensively their ideology needs to get out of there, win in the fourth quarter bullshit, rely on the last drive, and kind of attack. And as I said earlier, make a guy like Dak play from behind. That's where he turns the ball over. But, yeah, to answer your question 10 minutes ago, yeah, defensively there's a ton of room to grow. Right now they're starting Tedrick Thompson. They're starting Barkevious Mingo, Shamar Stefan, Shaq Griffin on a one ankle. Like who knows what happens with Justin Coleman. Like, they had a lot. They started Quinn and Jefferson. Quinn and Jefferson even make the 2013 team. They need a good year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one thing that I'm curious about, though, we we talked about this earlier in the year, and everyone likes to talk about Russell Wilson and his strengths. Like, we say that's unsustainable. Russell Wilson on third down and four to six yards. His passer rating this year? 131.7, like off the charts on third and medium. Fourth down and four to six yards. His passer rating was 154.9. Something about like the medium yardage. If you look at his career, when I did this before, third and medium, he is like one of the best in the NFL. 
<laughs> you get to like third and short or third and long, not as sustainable. So while while I get like I, I get the general point of view, like I, I do wonder if there's something to that that Russell for whatever reason, or maybe it's the offense that they run. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the receivers that they have, but that has proven to be pretty sustainable. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet. I got to find uh, the guy's name from earlier today. Uh, it works for sports, something information. Oh yeah. That was a good tweet. That was really interesting. Uh, while you look for it though, I mean, the, yeah. the issue isn't the distance on third down. Although I, I think third and short is going to be better than third and medium, even though Russ seems to excel there. The problem is just the third downs, right? I mean, you have 10 to 15 third downs a game, right? Even if you're very, very good at it, you can have a game where you go two for 13, like they did, yeah. and you're going to lose. Yep. Yeah, so the tweet was, I think that's totally fair. And, and I agree that Pete relies too much on third down. So the tweet from Bryce Rossler, this is uh, at B-T-R-O-S-S-L-E-R. Um, he said, in 2018, Seattle eventually converted to a new set of downs. 75% of the time when they called a run on second and 10. 75%. I actually he triple checked it because that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, when they called a pass play on second and 10, which all of us, everyone on this pod, everyone on Twitter has been asking for pretty much. They converted to new set of nouns 59.4% of the time. So when they ran on second and 10, they were meaningfully more likely to convert to a new set of downs than when they passed. And I think that's interesting for a lot of reasons, but again, I just don't know. I don't know that it's just because everybody is going in a certain direction. I'm not sure that within Pete Carroll's scheme that that has to be the way the Seahawks go. If you look at actual offensive points scored, you take out special teams, all that kind of stuff. There were four teams in the NFL that scored more offensive points than the Seahawks this year. Four teams. So do we have to be like the number one team in the NFL? Like, is that, I mean, that's obviously the goal, but like, I, I mean, they I, should I struggle. I struggle with what feels like a massive, massive overemphasis on offense. And what I see is fix the right tackle position somehow play George Fant, get Jamarco Jones in there, you know, figure that out, get some decent guards, whether even the same two guards could probably be passable, but get some guards and, you know, hopefully get a healthy tight end back and, you know, go on your way. Like, I feel like that'll just write itself, but defensively, I think there's real problems, guys. I don't think the, the solutions are that easy. I think they need safeties. They need corners. They need linebackers. They need defensive ends. Like, and they're, they're not, I don't think they're on a path to be a better defense next year than they were this year. And I don't think they're on a path to be a, a legitimate top 10 or especially a top five defense anytime soon. And I do think for Pete's philosophy, if you're not a top, top five defense, I think it's going to be hard. But so I think that's exactly the problem. Why do you have to have a top five defense for Pete to succeed? if you have a top five scoring offense in points per drive, it's because Pete is limiting you, right? If you are excelling and they are, they had a good offense, right? And they did it with running. I mean, all that stuff, like that's true, but 
if you can't be a Super Bowl contender with a top five offense, unless you also have a top five defense, I think there's something wrong. I don't think that's like to to Evan's earlier point. Like, you know, Pete may be a defensive genius, although I think all these problems that you're bringing up with the defense, I mean, is probably fair to wonder about what kind of job he did this year. But he's just not likely to recreate the Legion of Boom, not for any fault of his no. uh, through his right. It's just that was a once in a lifetime thing, right? I mean, that was a historic defense. So if it, it feels like he needs way too much help on the defensive side when he already has a good offense. And I think that's a problem, right? I mean, that's telling me that there's things on offense that are holding you back that, that even if you can put points on the, on the board or it, it points per drive that you're not maximizing that advantage. And I think that's what needs to change. It's not that there needs to be some fundamental improvement in the offense. They don't need to go from seven or four or whatever they are to one. And they, they don't need to be won by, you know, an entire point of drive. They just, they need to get rid of these fatal flaws that they have. And some of these just little quirks that, you know, when you're talking about single elimination games are going to bite you. Well, so Nathan, I mean, it sounds like a lot of it for you is, again, it gets back to the things you believe are most under the Seahawks control, like, and yeah. maybe easiest to change. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And also I have a lot of faith in them being willing to address the defense uh, defense. I don't think that's a question at all. They're going to do everything possible to get a, uh, as good a defense as they can on the field. They have not quite shown that same willingness to do everything possible to maximize their offensive advantage. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's too controversial. I mean, Jeff, what part of, I mean, what do you think is you have most confidence in the Seahawks ability to improve on the defensive side? Do you mean by position or just whatever, whatever comes to mind? I mean, like, I know I have some biases myself. I'll go linebacker. I think it's the easiest position to find. I think Michael Kendricks could be an option. I think I don't expect KJ Wright to be back, but if you do bring him back, a full season of him will make a big difference. You saw some big impact plays. It's the kind of position you can get in the middle of the draft. You can find speed. I think that's a big area where they were exposed in zone coverage all year. Um, the next area for me is going to be a pass rusher outside of Clark. Mm. And you saw when Clark got shut down from one side, the reason I say that is because this draft and this free agency class is very rich at defensive end. So I don't know if they're going to be big spenders in free agency or they're going to use another high pick on that. But I think those two positions are positions where there's obvious replacements on the market. They have some decent, like Jacob Martin could take a step forward or Kendricks could come back. So those two. Safety is the one that worries me because I, I'm worried that the team's overconfident in Tedrick Thompson and I saw nothing, nothing out of him all year. I Pete loves guys with unique qualities. What is this guy's unique quality? I want to see something. He He's uniquely experience. good at missing tackles. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, hurts to laugh. As, as we we saw, we were probably we had Earl for all those years. We we probably were just too fortunate, and now we see what life is like with a replacement to bad player there and. The middle of the field changes. The big plays change. That's an area that worries me. I don't know where they fill that void from. 
Well, that's an interesting one. So, so because I would have definitely, Evan, I would have said secondary would be my area. I'd have most confidence that Pete could change because Pete's got history in every decade of building a top flight secondary all the way back to the 80s. Secondary coach played in secondary. But the place I would be like, I have angst about and like, I don't feel like I haven't been able to share my angst, you know, on Twitter because everyone else is sharing their angst about things. That I don't understand why people are so angsty about like the offense is pretty fucking good this year, way better than it was last year. But Evan, do you have any confidence that, that, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to bring in additional talent to the safety in the corner position? Or that they're going to be satisfied with Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers and Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill and 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 look elsewhere. And that those are going to be the guys that we have to depend on. Are you talking like in free agency or draft or both? Both. All of the above. Trades, anything. Oh, yeah. I'm completely confident. It's actually one of the areas I'm probably most confident. I, I trust this team to rebuild this defense. I think they will get back to a top five, maybe top three defense. I trust Pete Carroll's ability and Josh Schneider's ability to scout and draft defensive backs. Sure, they've had some misses, but you know who we're not talking about? Trey Flowers. Looks like a freaking oh, – okay, I'm not going to say stud. That's overhyping him. He looks good this year for his first year, converted safety, corner, fifth round, maybe sixth round. I don't remember what it was. I trust them in the, in the defensive backfield. One area I would like them to target – is and please appreciate that I tuck myself into a big Seahawks free agency splash every single year as is annual tradition. Please bring me Gene Avi and Clowney or somebody on the defensive line. Defensive line take linemen take a couple years to, to develop and mature and make an impact. You know, Frank Clark, I think he had like four sacks his first year, 10 second, and then you know, 11 or 12 this year. I'd love for you, them to pair somebody next to Frank. Add some pieces in the secondary via the draft. And you know what? Shaq and Trey, they can develop. In, but I, I think if you can add a free safety, suddenly that secondary doesn't look too bad. McDougal's on a three-year deal, and, McD and we all know how well McDougal has played this year. I, I, I just think the pass rush um, can get better, and we really need somebody to take the attention off of Frank just because they're double-teaming him like crazy and neutralizing him. So that's my take. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I have very little confidence that the Seahawks, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are going to actually address the secondary. It's I, the I, I think that they're very comfortable with, I think they believe in Shaq Griffin and Trey Flowers. I think they believe in but, Delino Hill and Tedrick Thompson. And I don't think any of the, those guys, including but, Trey Flowers, including Trey Flowers, but, I don't think any one of those guys have proven to me that they are game-changing talents on defense. They might be starter level at some level or maybe like approaching starter quality. But for this defense to actually be great, they need some great players. And who are the great players outside of Bobby Frank and Jaron Reed? No, I, I, I think that's fair. I actually completely disagree with you on Tedrick, though. They may be saying one thing to, to the media, but you know what Pete hates the most? Fucking missed tackles. Who's the king of missed tackles? Tedrick Thompson. Pete is not going to stand for the bullshit that Tedrick Thompson has put on tape this year. I can guarantee you Tedrick Thompson's job is in jeopardy. That man is not going into next year as a guaranteed starter. I absolutely guarantee it.
Man, from your mouth to God's ears. I hope that's the case. No, I mean, there's no Pete, Pete DB mastermind. You think he looks at Trey taking bad, or not Trey, Tedrick taking bad angles and is like, oh, that's okay. My free safety is missing, you know, wide open tackles. It, no, not acceptable. Unacceptable. Not, not okay. Pete's not cool with that. You want, you want to hear a hot take? Yeah, yeah. Hot take. I had this hot take during my down moments of the, the game on Saturday. I think Pete having Michael Dixon is a crutch to him. He's too reliant on that super punter. That's made him too conservative on offense. Okay, can we talk about Michael Dixon for a second? Why can the hell? Go, go ahead, go ahead. Why the hell are we not trusting? I wanted to see some draw kicks, man. Why? Why? You know, what? I'm going for two is the only analytical thing they did all season. <laughs> drop kicks are fun, you know, and we he like. Said that he wouldn't actually drop kick it though. He would have place kicked it. Yeah, those are looking pretty nasty. Yeah, if you're gonna complain about Dixon, what about that stupid onside kick? Or how about stop out kicking your coverage like every time? I get it. You can kick it like 80 yards. It's great, but like you gave Tavon like a 30 yard runway twice and it came back once on the penalty but like that game could have been even okay. worse if the, without, without that that was a hundred percent on the coverage they all suck michael Dixon no it is off. not first he's... team all pro rookie punter he no 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 look team. this is a case where dixon's amazing but it's actually hurting them he can boom it forever but like maybe just up a little more than far. Like, can we just get a little extra hang time? Well, so, so folks on the chat have been asking for us to talk about this for a little while. And that's the special teams. We've talked about offense. We've talked about defense. I think Brian Schneider's terrible. I, I, I think, I think he's, he should have been fired a while ago. And I think coverage, kick coverage, punt coverage, the decisions to take kicks out of the end zone and, start how many offensive drives at the 15 or the 20 instead of the 25, the decisions to kick the ball short of the end zone and allowing returns like strategically talent wise, coaching wise, there is no reason to me why Brian Schneider should still be coach. He also was the guy that picked Sebastian Janikowski to stick around instead of a younger kicker who ended up going to the pro bowl in, in Myers this year. Like, I feel like special teams has been a major issue. And one of the things that I saw when I look back over the past years that was different is the Seahawks offense used to have much better field position for where they started their drives. And the Seahawks defense used to have much better field position for where their opponents started their drives. And I think special teams has quietly eroded the strengths of this team. Anyone feel differently? Anyone feel see a, a, a sliver of hope? I want to know what blackmail Brian Schneider has on Pete Carroll because this is a dumbfounding situation. The special team has special teams play not been bad for like five years running. Like since Super Bowl Forty Nine, has this not been like a bad unit? Tyler Lockett gave them a reprieve in two thousand fifteen when he was drafted. But like uh, Tyler Lockett. Like, I mean, they do have an all-pro punter. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, no, special teams has been a problem. I mean, we were all shocked when they cleaned house and Schneider was one of the guys to stay. So. <coughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you got, you got, we're not going to see Big Head anymore. He's gone. 
you know, he'll be eating cheeseburgers next year. So we're going to have some new kicker come in. Um, but I think, I think that's another area that guys, that should not be a hard place to make significant improvements. And that is about getting young athletes on the team that can, you know, make coverage plays. And, uh, you know, I don't think we saw it this year. I think Shaquem Griffin started to come on, but he was a guy that I think there was high hopes for. It could be an impact special teams player. I don't think he really was. Um, I, I don't know that you can point to a real impact special teams player the Seahawks had this year um, that was consistently making plays, whether it's a gunner or anything else. So I think that's another area that the the team uh, has a lot more room to improve on than than the offense. And they've they they've <laughs> consistently went out and tried to find special teams guys. DJ Alexander, Nico Thorpe, mm-hmm. uh, Shaquem was supposed to be you know a good teams guy. Um, they who there was a couple other trades that they made, a couple of safeties. One of them didn't past physical but like so schneider has john schneider has continuously tried to hand some talent or some guys to brian schneider and they still have these problems so it's weird that maybe now that they have the mentality of accountability it'll be schneider's time to go yeah yeah i mean that's the accountability piece that i'd be looking for oh oh stop it Stop it. Josh is not anywhere close to the hot seat, Brian. Don't even. Don't Brian even. Schneider. Oh, I thought you were talking about John Schneider. <laughs> no. No. I think, you know, I, I think all in all, like, it, if we look at this draft class from this year, John Schneider had his best draft in a number of years. Does anyone disagree with that? This year? <clears throat> this year's draft class. Penny? Well... God, yeah, tough, tough start. I still, I haven't written off Sheen Green. No, I'm written off Green. I'm sorry. Who had more productive runs on on Saturday? Okay, this is how insane this game made me. Is I was furious that they didn't give Penny more carries because try something, (laughs) anything. I know he. I mean, he had the big run, and then he got stuffed, and then it was like, okay, this is done. Like he did something. He did something more than Carson did all game long. Why go away from him? Thank you. I just want to say all the Penny haters can fuck right off. Chris Carson was averaging two yards to carry. Rashad Penny bounces his big ass in there and runs for 15 yards on the first fucking play. And that was a nice cut. Like he found a big yeah. wide hole, but like he made a nice move to get over to it. So yeah, I mean, yeah, just think I, like, about what he could do if he was like nine pounds lighter. Okay. <laughs> He's back in shape now. He even admitted it. He even admitted he lost it all the weight that he had gained in preseason. Yeah, I want I still want to hear the story sometime about how he gained that weight and why he gained that weight. But um yeah, I, I, not only was it Penny, but his runs were to the outside. Every other run was up the middle. Here, like here's another question for you. Speaking of guys who didn't play, Brian, you highlighted all, all week the differences in the first game and the second game. One of the big ones was David Moore. David Moore played, what, 12 snaps? I don't even know if he got that many. Yeah, and this is a team that we said was vulnerable in the deep passing game. And What the hell were they doing? I think they went with the guy that they thought was a better blocker, the more dependable blocker. Do you think that was what it was? It was so stupid. Or was it the fact that David Moore didn't run the route the way they wanted him to run it in the the last game? And they lost trust in him. And uh, the one that resulted in the pick from Russell. Great. 
But didn't he continue to play after that? What's that? He continued to play after that, right? He didn't get benched in that game. Sure, but I mean, it's possible that they did tape review and they're like, you know, demerit, you're you're losing snaps. I don't know. I mean, I honestly have had almost no change in my perspective on David Moore. Like, I still think the guy is has significant ceiling, um, highest ceiling, you know, that Seahawks have had at a young receiver in a long time. And I think he's going to be a lot better next year. Um, I think he had a big jump from year one to year two. I think he's going to have a bigger jump from year two to year three. I think he's going to be part of the solution. But, yeah, he was nowhere to be found. They, they just didn't even give him a chance. That's what bothered me throw it to him down deep um, in the last four or five games of the season. So, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people are off the David Moore bandwagon, but but uh, I'm not one of them. Um, I wish I could have been there to see Evan or to see uh, Nathan uh, banging the table for Rashad Penny. I was literally <laughs> banging the table for Rashad Penny. I was yelling and screaming because that game was terrible. <laughs> um. So what else, guys? I mean, I, I think I think we've kind of covered a lot of these pieces here. I think, you know, I think we're all in agreement that they should have run the ball more. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daryl, calm down here. <laughs> uh, you know, I, well, actually, I think- do we want to talk about that? Because Pete was mad they didn't get to run the ball more. When they, I know Pete has said a lot of stupid stuff, and I think he trolls us. And like, I, I, I really don't get too much into the coach stuff, but like, that was his takeaway. Like, I wish we could have converted more third down so we could have ran more. That's like, what I think. I think that's what he was really saying was what he says every game when they lose. We didn't convert enough third downs. We didn't get into our sequence. We didn't get into our variation of plays, and blah blah blah. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I might be the only one, but. Uh, I didn't really take him as that he really thought they should have run the ball more. I, I don't believe that's the case. Do you guys think that Russell was throwing shade, like in his comments at the end, uh, his 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 exit interview, and he was like, "I wish we would have thrown. We were having some success throwing deep. I wish we would have done that some more." One hundred percent. I mean, they looked raw after that game. Like Pete looked like, I know we've done the Pete is tired thing. Pete looks, I mean, but he looked, uh, Pete looked a little like, like, like actually like a little haggard, like a little emotional. Russ looked like his eyes were red. Like maybe he was about to cry or had been crying or like, and I mean, it's a playoff game and like their season's over. I mean, and like, you know, I mean, getting emotional at that point, frustrating loss, like it doesn't surprise me, but like, I thought that that was one where they all looked a little bit more. They just looked a little raw after that one. Um, what did you guys think about? I mean, I didn't have, I didn't see any of the the raw stuff that you're talking about, so I can't really speak to it. But I know you saw the Brock Heward tweet. What was your so so that was that was pretty inflammatory. A lot of people were were getting into it. Um, and, and I, I can't even remember the details of it. Nathan, maybe you, you do remember it. Maybe you can, uh, I mean, he started out him and him and Bucky Brooks were the, I'm glad they maintained their identity crew. That was kind of where it started with them. Like win or lose doesn't matter if your identity is to run the ball. It's good that you ran the ball, which was, you know, I mean, I, I, 
he he was just shilling for Pete at that point. I think like there's there's really no excuse for not being adaptable, right? I mean, whether you like their identity and whether you like that they tried to go into the game with the identity, like at some point they needed to do something. Like another thing that they didn't do, Tyler Lockett didn't get a single carry. And I don't really remember him doing a lot of the motion in the, in the round, even the fakes that they usually do. So like this was a really stripped down game plan and it was just clear that like, but you know, yeah, all right. Some people wanted to bend over backwards and make excuses for the coaches not doing their job basically. But then yeah, Brock, uh, I'm trying to find it here. The whole stats nerds not playing the game thing. It's <laughs> he did resort to that. It got yeah, that's, that's kind of when the like it's never Honestly, a good sign when you got to pull that argument out. Exactly. At that point, it's like, okay, so you know you're wrong. Uh, so so let, me, let, me, let me poke on that for a second. So I do think it's bullshit to say you never played, you don't really know. Like, that's bullshit. Like, a lot of people didn't play the game and actually um, can analyze it, can offer points of view on it, um, have done that. And... One of them's his, you know, his, the sock to his Brock. I mean, like, anyway, I, I think that's crap. At the same time, though, I will say that I think people are way out over their skis on analytics Twitter as if they know, like, not just analytics Twitter, bloggers, podcasters like us, as if they're, we're certain of what the answer is because we have expertise in economics. Or we have expertise in you know, software, or we have expertise in something else where we can look at these big data numbers and we can say, look, here's a conclusion. If you don't agree with this, you're just wrong. But look, I know for a fact, for a fact, that there are things about every single play that happens on the field that there is no way for us to know about. What the specific responsibilities were for every player how they wanted it run, what went wrong, why that infected other things, what the interpersonal issues are between certain players and why some guy gets passed over that has nothing to do with anything logical. Like there are things that happen that we just don't have access to. I go into it and I just acknowledge that. I know that like there's a significant aspect of information I don't have access to. And I feel like there's the, the opposite, like the, the the opposite end of the spectrum from you never played, so you don't get to talk about it. Is I never played, but I know analytics, so I know more than anyone that ever played. Like I think that's just as much as bullshit. The uh, most frustrating thing for me, as an analytically inclined person, is that of course the coaches know more. Of course, of course, John Schneider and the GMs and the scouts, of course they know more, but they they do this thing like Brock did. Well, you never played the game. What do you know? Like, well, you know, people have been saying for decades now that passing is more effective than running and coaches have very slowly inched their way to passing more and more and more. And what do you know? It's pretty good, right? Like it's the, it's the, the willing, it's the willful ignorance. No, no, but the whole, it's, it's the willful, willful ignorance on the part of coaches who could put this knowledge to way better use than anyone on Twitter or anyone with an economics degree named Ben or whatever, right? I mean, like, <laughs> of course. We love you, Ben. We love Ben. But, like, why can't they, like, why are they so threatened by it? Why don't they incorporate it? We, we've I seen mean, this in other sports. It's a false narrative, though. No, Nathan. not. You know, you, know <clears throat> who started, you know who started the trend towards passing more? 
It wasn't <laughs> analytics Twitter. It was a guy no, named Bill Walsh in the early friggin' eighties, and he changed the face of the game. He was a coach. Absolutely. And invented West Coast offense. And guess what? If you look at the incline from pass percentage from the early 80s, it goes like this. They didn't Absolutely. need analytics Twitter to do that. A coach did that. But but if they had listened to analytic people earlier, they would have been at this. Like, yes, Bill Walsh, again, coaches, they're smart. They know football. They're good at this. But they are stubborn as all hell. And we see this in every sport. Like, there wasn't an analytic nerd. John Hollinger didn't create three-point line. But analytics people told coaches, ha- NBA coaches had to be told that three points are worth more than two points. Like, literally. Like, you know, baseball is the same way. Hey, don't steal. It's bad. You get out a lot. Outs are bad. Like, baseball coaches had to be told that outs are bad. I mean, some of this stuff, they're, they are Pete Carroll would run circles around me if we ever got him on the podcast and like had like some kind of like as deep a football discussion as I could have compared to him. Right. Like no question the dude, I mean, he's a very, very good football coach, much smarter than any of the analytics people. But if he incorporated, if he took what he already knew and what he can do and how he can coach and everything beyond that and incorporated some of the stats, he would be so much better and we, we, like I said, we've seen this in every sport, right? All of a sudden, what are coaches, what, what is in what is in style this year? Going for it on fourth down. Now you can say, hey, who started that? Doug Peterson last year, right? A coach, he finally did it. But who was telling Doug Peterson to do it? Stats guys. And it's good. It's, it's, it's helpful, right? But coaches have pushed back on the, these simple things for so long. And it's just, it's, it just, to me, it seems like it's fear-based. I don't understand why they're afraid of being equipped with more information and more data, but something about it, and maybe it is just something a little bit more, you know, primitive than that. It's just some kind of, you know, oh, you never played the game. You're an outsider. Maybe that's why they don't want to do it. I don't know what it is, but like some of this stuff isn't dumb and, and some of this stuff can help teams. And it's frustrating that a guy who wants to always compete and win for win forever kind of poo-poos a lot of it or, or, or seems to anyways with how he goes yeah, about it. I don't think it's as dire as all that. I think there's a lot of analytics in the NFL. I think that people – Pete knows about the fourth – go for it on fourth down guy. He's talked about him multiple times. He's looked at the stats. He he, he actually looks at a lot of the analytics. Um, Pete's pretty innovative when it comes to um, – uh, performance management and bringing a guy like Michael Gervais in to do, um, you know, performance psychology and stuff like that. I mean, I think there's some places you could call out the Cleveland Browns organization who for years had more analytics input than any other NFL organization. That was a big part of how they were running it. Jacksonville for a long time was <laughs> they were failing miserably. So I, well, I that, hold up, hold up. The Browns, who put that team together that's winning I, right now? Well, that's the thing, though. i just saying, you know me. Like, where, where I get fired up is when people make it sound simple. Just do this and everything's easy. Like, just follow the analytics and they'll point you to championships. No, it's not that easy. It, it, is, it is a signal. It's, a, it's, a, it's an input into your thinking. And there's an interplay between the data and what you learn there. If you listen and if you pay attention to it, I think that's your point that I'm hearing, Nathan, is listen, consume the information, make your own assessment and use your years or decades of information from knowing football to mesh with that and see what feels right. The same way all of us do that look at data versus 
qualitative research or anything else that you, you do out there. So I hear that. I guess I'm just, my, my, my major point was there was a lot of shit that Brock got for what he said about you never played. I think that there's a lot of people that are giving shit about that could stand to get knocked down a peg or two themselves. There's a lot of people on Twitter that are pretty proud of, of how right they are. And there's a lot of confirming priors going on. I'd like to see less of that. I mean, just being totally honest, like I'm wrong way more than I'm right. I know that I like it when I'm wrong. Cause it means I'm going to learn something. And if it comes out and it's, you know, the Seahawks, despite what all the numbers say, are doing really well offensively, that's okay. Maybe but it's not despite right. the numbers. The numbers say the Seahawks offense is good. Points per drive says it's good. DVOA says it's good, right? Like the numbers aren't actually saying the Seahawks offense is bad. The approach. The approach. I Anyway, that's that's my point. I just, I, I'd like to see a little bit more humility, a little bit more uh, shades of gray, but I know that that's hard to do in 280 characters. So... That that's that's my my uh, mild rant um, on the topic. So, anything else that's on your guys' mind? Next week we're gonna have to come back and talk about off season. I mean, we already started a massive thread in our private chat. Like, <laughs> we were going through all the free agents. We we're going through positions. We we're going through. Seahawks free agents, who they should let go. We had some pretty hot takes in that discussion. I'm really looking forward to diving in. Personally, like off season is maybe just a little bit below regular season for me in terms of how much I love it. Like, because nothing really can go wrong in the off season. Like, <laughs> until you like nothing, you don't know that anything's bad. Everything is like, oh yeah, I could. <laughs> you don't know though in general, right? Like, like. You're forgetting that penny draft night, aren't you? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Front, I'm just gonna get him out in front of this and say the Seahawks are not trading Bobby Wagner, Nathan, Brian, Jeff. Don't say a single word about that happening. It's bullshit. We're not talking about it. If they had a good GM, he might get traded. I would, I would seriously oh. consider trading Bobby Wagner. I would. God. You gotta you gotta you gotta, you know, spend money to make money. You gotta trade some assets to get some assets. This is the last year you're probably gonna have a chance to. First team All Pro, one of the best players in on defense in the game, has trade value. So yeah, I, I you know, this is a, this is a preview of the conversation for next week. But the Seahawks need they need bullets. They need bullets to reload this this defense and to reload um, the team in general. They got four draft picks right now. Four. And we know that we know the game plan. Schneider's going to trade back that first round pick 17 times until he has six seventh round picks. And, and like, that's not going to do it. That's not going to be enough. You need some high, high end talent to that's get six David Moore's and Chris Carson's. What do you mean? It's not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they just play JD McKissick next year, everything else will be fixed. That's um, true. So let's just be really clear that JD McKissick, Wow, I could go on and on about that. But um, Evan, I look forward to that conversation with you next week about uh, about Bobby and among others. Jeff, anything else from you um, ending this season? Let's let's just take a quick uh, quick couple seconds. Parting thoughts on the 2018 Seattle Seahawks. 
Uh, most of the show has been negative, and I, as I said at the beginning of the show, I've never been more on the side of analytics Twitter after a game. I've never been angrier other than that Super Bowl loss. But I want to take a couple seconds just to shout out some of the guys who did play really well in that game and who are great all year. And Jaron Reed, like no one could have seen that year coming from Jaron Reed. Ten and a half sacks. I think Doug Farrar retweeted a video today of just like him dominating Dallas, all like clips of him, him and Tyler Lockett to me. All year we talked about, or all offseason, we wanted to see a group of guys you can go forward with. And Tyler Lockett, Jaron Reed, those two really jumped off the page of guys who had levels that I would have never seen coming. And I guess we can talk about Trey Flowers or Fluker or some other guys, but those two to me jump off the page. And to me, that's a huge thing going forward because there's draft classes that are starting to look a little bit better the last couple of years. And to me, that those two jumping off the page completely jumpstarts this rebuild in an area we probably didn't think they'd get to this year. Nathan, parting thoughts on 2018? Uh, I think this is really well. I mean, it was, uh, you know, one of the things that we've, talked a lot about is is pete and how good a job has he done and a lot of that has kind of come back around to um what is the actual talent level on this team and uh you know i had them going seven to nine in the preseason i did not think that they were a good team um but i feel way better about their talent situation at this point and tyler lockett's a big part of that getting him healthy him having a huge year a perfect year on, you know, perfect passer rating when, on when Russ targeted him. Um, that's super cool. Um, he's so exciting. He's so fun. Um, seems like a great guy. So it's it's really cool that he broke out. Jaron Reed's the same thing. You know, Frank Clark taking the next step. Um, Bobby Wagner being first team all pro. All that stuff was really awesome. And I do think that there's a lot more work to be done, to your point, Brian. Like, I, I don't think that this is something – it is a re- rebuilding year, but, like – I there's probably more of a it's more of an uphill thing there than we maybe think but um just watching all the players kind of blossom and have you know these breakout seasons and a lot of things going right for a lot of these guys was really cool how about you evan fun but fatally flawed they have some real process problems that i have a very hard time if things don't change you know from an ideological and coaching perspective I have a very hard time seeing this team winning a Super Bowl in the next five years. How's that for optimistic, Evan? Um, yeah, I, I think, like you said, though, Brian, I think this offseason is going to be super interesting to see how they build up this defense. Um, maybe they even target receiver high in the draft. You know, Doug Baldwin's getting older, and it would be nice to add a key weapon for Russell, even though we never throw the ball. <laughs> never never um it's interesting like uh so things that stick out to me we talk about the 2018 season um uh you know one i will just say in response to kind of what evan said i i think that the anyone that's expecting that the super bowls are a realistic goal in the next few years and that that should be expected i think you got i think your expectations are maybe out of whack i think i think it is far far, far, far more likely that the Seahawks do not get back to the Super Bowl anytime soon than that they do. It is super hard to get to the Super Bowl, even when you have great talent. The 2013 Seahawks were by far the best team in the NFL as far as I was concerned. They barely, by the 
fingertip of Richard Sherman got to the Super Bowl that year, and they had home field advantage. Like, it is really, really hard to do. They shouldn't have gone the following year when they were also the best team in the NFL and were way behind in the NFC Championship game. Like, Super Bowl is a really tough threshold. But if I look, like, at what this team ended versus where they started, you guys hit on a couple of them. We didn't know at the beginning of the year whether Frank Clark could actually be an effective pass rusher without the help of Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett taking blockers away from him elsewhere. He proved that he can be a number one pass rusher this year. That's huge. Jaron Reed, I would have never guessed in a million years that he could be a double-digit sack player. I thought maybe, you know, you get to six. But, like, he blew, blew my mind. That's a huge, huge development. Those two guys alone are massive building blocks. Um, I would have never guessed that um, Trey Flowers could be a guy that looks like he could be an above-average starting quarterback when the year started. That I think he has potential. I don't think he's yet shown me that he's the guy I want to count on, but I think that's a, a really important thing. Bradley McDougal, I would not have put in a category of borderline Pro Bowl player. Like, that's a huge piece to the puzzle. Um, you know, the offensive line, there is no way I would have been convinced that the offensive line was going to be a strength for this team this year um, or that this team would be the number one team in rushing. And if I look, kind of zoom back a little bit, Tyler Lockett was great this year. If I zoom back a little bit, I see a team that figured out how to be an effective running offense. That's the major accomplishment of this year. They were effective. They weren't great. I think they can even be better. They're effective running. They were also really efficient passing. They got the deep passing down. I see that they need to figure out intermediate passing. They need to figure out more balance, more creativity. They need to figure out how to throw the ball to the running backs a little bit more creatively and early downs. I think there are ways the Seahawks can be within Pete Carroll's scheme of kind of ball control and pass the ball. And I think they've shown some of those in the past. They didn't do it this year as much. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more balance there. So, you know, for me, that's the big, that's the big um, takeaway is that there's a few parts to the puzzle that started to click into place that I didn't expect necessarily to, to click. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that the Seahawks can be a better team next year, but I think that the league is going to be better too. So uh, I, I think, uh, this is going to be a tough offseason. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll talk about that next week. Um, and with that, uh, we're going to say thank you for everyone that's tuned in. Cable Thanos, Josh, also one of the best parts of 2018. I think everybody agrees on that. Um, been a great add to the Hawk Blogger team. And uh, looking forward to uh, his, his end of season video, which uh, you'll be able to find on the YouTube channel as well as up on Twitter. So thank you, everybody, if you haven't already. Please click subscribe. Our plan is to probably go to bi-weekly podcasts over uh, over the off-season. We'll do special uh, occasional um, if there's something we need to do, but probably bi-weekly. Keep an eye on that. We're going to try to do Wednesdays at 7.30 uh, p.m. Pacific time on the regular, so you won't have to guess when this will be. Um, other than that, uh, have a wonderful off-season. Hope you guys join the hot stove league discussions. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of fun to, to, to things to cover. So, uh, cheers and, uh, go Hawks.